Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 234 with Sam Kerwin, The Human Condition, Aries, Seeker of Balance, Student of Consciousness, Teacher of Mindfulness. Join the team as we explore the infinite expanse that is consciousness, also holographically presented by each and every one of you and Sam and Jim and myself. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much. Glad to be here. How's it going, Tim? So something we do at the beginning of these episodes is to talk about the um, hit mute when you're not talking about life, because I could definitely hear myself. Word. Uh, is to correspond the episode number with the major arcana of a Toro. So 234, which is actually obviously a numerically cool kind of number, uh, reduces to 9, which is the Hermit card. But in this case, uh, I used the... David D'Angelo's Starman Tarot deck. He's been on a few times. Shout out, David. Uh, this is the Alien. I bring back knowledge from distant places. The Alien, which is normally, like I said, the Hermit card in this deck, is the Alien. Know your worth. You are perfect the way you are. Be free. Seek answers within you. Go deeper and understand more of the universe and take the time to do something you've never done before. Raphael, what card do you have? We have number 48, the Angel of Fertility. Belonging to the powers, this angel helps to talk peace and unity between spouses, protects those who seek the light, who have premonitions or omens, gives inspiration to unravel the secrets and everything that needs to be discovered, facilitates the generation of healthy species, friendship and martial fidelity. It is associated with the Seven of Cups in the Tarotar, and the affirmation goes, I experience my determination to create something from my dreams. Angel qualities include fertility, fecundity, reconciliation, fusion of masculine and feminine poles, inner and outer peace, helps materialize the divine intentions and providential protection. So I'm curious, Sam, if I know that was a lot to gather between both cards, uh, the Hermit slash Alien card and what he read, but did anything resonate or synchronize? Oh, absolutely. Um, I found relationship is uh, my greatest growth and evolution point, personally. Um, and as far as uh, esoterica is concerned, like that's been a, a consistent theme throughout my life and um, big picture perspective, uh, seeing what's behind uh, appearances or surfaces. Uh, again, big, big themes in my life. So very, very relevant. It's funny. I, I, I pulled up your astrological chart. And I'm looking at it. You have what's called a kite. Don't worry about it right now. Uh, some other things, but some major point in your chart is first a house, which is yourself. Is your North Node and Pluto and Libra? You were saying relationships are major uh, things for you in your life, and it's like you couldn't have been more accurate without realizing it. Saying that, in any event, Raphael, I'm kind of curious. Uh, how did you stumble upon Sam? Right. So we'll leave it in a simple fashion. We met through online commenting, I guess. You know, having different friends. Not exactly the way that uh, we connected, Jim. Uh, basically. A conversation regarding health and uh, yeah 
I just reached out as I sometimes do and was like, hey, don't you want to talk about, you know, your experiences and so on? And then realized Sam has even been teaching mindfulness. So, you know, can't get a much better match than that, I guess. That's what's up. All right. Well, uh, so you guys haven't physically met. Sometimes I want to get my head around uh, what Kat Raphael has dragged in. Um, so, Sam, um, <laughs> you could be as long-winded or as short-winded as you want. Kind of tell us what kind, you know, where you grew up, what kind of culture you had uh, when you started turning on to maybe mindfulness, spirituality, magic with a K, whatever's clever. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um... I grew up in uh, in the Midwest, in the heart of the Midwest, in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, the uh, the son of um, skeptic but um, very intelligent academics, uh, and you know, found myself being really a heart person and really wanting uh, magic or alegria or um, you know the the heart uh, fullness. Um, uh, as a basic personality and orientation and uh, really not getting it in the, uh, you know, upbringing with my parents as, as you know, great parents as they were, uh, just not oriented in the same way. And um, my first, uh, my first uh, contact, I guess you'd say, with something deeper, it was philosophy, both Nietzsche and Sartre, a lot of existentialism, nihilism. Um, and, and really having those innate questions of like, what the hell is going on here? And why are we, why are we here? What's, what's life about really? And, um, I got some stimulation from that, but it felt kind of dry. And, uh, you know, as is an increasingly, uh, I don't know, common story of, uh, Westerners nowadays, in terms of entree into spirituality, I discovered psychedelics when I was 15 and, had several experiences with LSD in particular that uh, really, really opened me up. And, you know, long story short, the, the, the basic conclusion was that love in the deepest and most fully encompassing sense is what really it's all about and what's most important and what we're here for. And, you know, I think the journey within, the journey towards the self, the journey towards spirit, uh, and evolution, human evolution in general, points us to uh, to that, to, to really, the, the more we, we know of the self, the more we see that the basic characteristics are love, joy, peace, bliss even. Um, and, and um, you know, from that point, got into um, a lot of, really wonderful dharma teachers including alan watts uh meher baba uh ramdas um the, the list can go on but there's some really really influential ones and when i first discovered hinduism and the cosmology therein um it really blew my mind and made a lot of things fit together you know it's like you're you're carrying around a set of papers with holes in them, you know, like star charts or something from all these different uh, influences in your life and your upbringing. And you get a framework. For me, it was Hinduism um, and a philosophical framework that just connects all these dots together and makes everything kind of make sense. So uh, I wouldn't call myself a Hindu. Um, 
much like Ramdas, I, I think there's a lot of beauty and truth in in many different traditions. Um, and and I'm kind of a, a conglomerate, or a, you know, of of all of them in some respect. I was raised Christian, but when I uh, when I was young, Christianity didn't really have much meaning to me. It never didn't sink home, and I saw a lot of contradiction. But after really immersing myself in Hinduism, Taoism, Buddhism, um, and then coming back to Christianity, oh my God, it was it made so much sense and is so incredibly beautiful. And the way I understand Christ more as like a Christ consciousness than than a than a personality um, has made it all like so incredibly meaningful to me. So um, I guess that's a good roundup of uh, my uh, introduction. Word. Uh, so I'm kind of curious, uh, going from kind of like you were saying, Sartre and Nietzsche, like existential and nihilistic philosophy. Um, to more kind of you're saying Christian, maybe Hindu reverent uh, thinking, how did you go from kind of I create my reality and the meaning and there is no meaning beyond what I you know believe to things that are meta narratives uh, and you know things beyond one's preference of being true or not, if that makes sense? Yeah, um, I, I think the answer to that question would be my definition of self. And, um, you know, when I was engaging philosophy, it was very uh, cerebral. And, um, you know, you kind of take the self for granted as, you know, this body, this mind. Um, and then once the, the really expansive, you know, um, changes in consciousness that psychedelics tend to bring occurred within me, um, my definition of self just completely changed and it wasn't anything that was um how do i say it um you know propaganda or or being uh you know a doctrine let's let's say uh it was an experience it was an experiential so it's very scientific is i guess what i'm trying to you know uh get to that um here it was the experience that i had that was completely lucid and intensely meaningful and i i was i couldn't deny it you know and i, I think many people when they have um uh, um an experience of of uh of self and awakening um there there's some ineffable quality to it that can't really be explained in a in a logical sense yet there's something about it that transcends anything you've ever been told anything you've read in a book um because there there seems to be no agenda there it's just a self-evident truth that no, permeates so you <laughs> sorry go ahead no, all I said was gnosis. Uh, sounds like what you're talking about. It's funny. I mean, absolutely when it breaks through. But no, no keep talking. It's Feel free. <laughs> no, it's incredibly accurate. And you know, um, when you when you have an experience like that, uh, that there's really it's so transcendent like it's in a completely other category uh than um again intellectual uh uh play uh that um 
uh, you know, it, it can't be shaken, let's say. Um, well, even like it, Isaiah, like, uh, I think at some point in the Old Testament, Isaiah went into the temple all the time being, you know, dutiful Jew and being pretty spiritual, you could say, like hip on it being like real as a ontological presuppositional framework or whatever. He was into it, is my point. Anyway, he went in one day, and then there's a fucking real angel with a hot coal it puts on his mouth, all this jazz, whatever the story says. Uh, it became phenomenologically very different, potent. You know, I, I've had an experience on DMT where right after that, I was kind of like, okay, so all the myths are true. Like, I understood, um, you know, something being true in a story form that's beyond just like a putting felt figures on a board at, on Sunday or something like that. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the reality is lived after that, right? It's, uh, it's not just a, a nice story that, to, to pick up and put down. So, you know, I, I think at that point, the big question is, what do you do with it now? Because, you know, um, expanding consciousness and, and uh, you know, omniscience and, and eternal love and all this stuff is awesome. And then guess what? You're going to go take a shit. Right, <laughs> you know, you're gonna you're gonna be. You are a Virgo moon. You're just keep it keep it real. That's how it is. You're no, you're right. <laughs> like I always think it's funny because people tend to look at spirituality in such high pollutant terms or whatever, and it's like yeah, like Jesus farted or Buddha like had you know uh, acid reflux sometimes or whatever. Exactly, you know, and and I've always been very um, uh, pragmatic. Also, like. Um, what good is this going to do us in our everyday life? And, um, you know, for me, it, it generated a, a, it provided a metric for truth, uh, and, and rightness and, and a deeper connection with myself that, that allowed me to trust my intuitive, um, you know, tendencies and gut feelings, uh, much more than, than I may have in the past. And, uh, you know, there's something behind what we experience. And to me, that's one of the hugest takeaways. Uh, there's something behind that's a deeper reality that um, allows us to hold our experience in this physical world, relational world, in such a way as to not get completely lost or destroyed or insane, uh, driven insane by it. Because it's, it's something else, you know, and it takes a lot to hold on sometimes, especially lately. Right, Allen Ginsberg, the greatest minds of my generation, destroyed by madness, kind of came to mind. Also, uh, Bowie and Freddie Mercury being like under pressure. It's like it's a bunch of people saying like "fuck this, let me out I'm over this." It's it's an interesting uh, dream machine. Um, before we kind of rant on that, I mean, it sounds like you went through the whole gamut of like being raised. I mean, you said skeptical parents, but I mean they were Judeo Christian, so uh, whatever that might mean. And then. Um, you know, coming from Christianity all the way through psychedelics and Hinduism back to some kind of Gnostic faith, it sounds like. But before maybe we jump all around on that stuff, I'm kind of curious, Raphael, if you have anything you wanted to talk about in particular. Yeah, I mean, we get into specifics maybe somewhat later. What I'm just curious about in retrospect now, because also I have read both, at least some of Sartre actually in school. I'd be curious if this is being read in schools in america or something but this was i guess of course mainly in french class um so existentialism and i don't want to put it all you know immediately on this how should i say 
power elite block level, but it's kind of interesting to see, I guess, with Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir was a strong feminist and so on. There's a lot to say about that. So kind of trying to localize them in terms of if this could even be seen, their true mindset or true intention, whether, for example, someone like Sartre was, I don't know, ultimately about love and higher consciousness. I can't say exactly. Um, however, with um, Nietzsche, at least having read Thus Spoke Zarathustra, all he talks about there, in my view, is the realization of the higher self within a society that is not yet completely ready or willing to understand and accept that type of consciousness, which then gets mistranslated in the sense as Übermensch, with the connotation or with the wrong connotation that this would be something that would aggrandize yourself, whereas in truth, it is only the higher capacity that is open and accessible to each and every one willing uh, to expand to that degree. I love that. I love that. Um, just real quick, your first question. No, uh, to my knowledge, it's not read in schools all that much unless you're in a higher level philosophy course in a university here in america but um the, my dad was a political philosophy uh professor of political philosophy and so uh he had uh a lot of things on the shelves that i just grabbed and uh you know um spinoza was another one uh i really liked but um to your point um about about uh about Nietzsche you know um that that's that's very much what I got what I got from it too and uh the point the exact point you were making was what really informed my uh new new position on uh or my new understanding of, of Christianity is that you know um when I was in it as a as a child it was more of a social institution like you know you, you'd see everybody get up and, you know and say praise him praise him he is the light of lights and the king of kings and it was just this really morose social like, utility like, kind of thing yeah exactly and you know it, it's like if you could really like hear and, and really embody like what you're saying here it's like incredible it's so like wow like, like eat some acid and you understand what holy 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 means or whatever exactly but uh you know there's other ways I, I fully grant that but you know there's just this this yeah 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 blah 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 and and really to me it, it was the, the the big uh the big shift was that like rafael was saying this isn't some person who was born as uh god man necessarily or or more importantly this is the fruition or end point of our of everybody's evolution and in that uh is the gospel that's the good news like this is where we're going and this is our potential and anyone can do this and um you know, Actually, that, you know, C.S. Lewis makes a point very much like that in Mere Christianity, um, that Jesus is kind of like the new man or whatever. Like, And, and it's funny also because um, I guess what one could look at it as, um, I don't know about your presuppositions with yugas, but it seems like certain, you know, like when the story gets into, uh, like maybe yugas are kind of like turning the dial on your 
Netflix um, you know, genre listing. So, like, you know, I'll call you guys more like horror, whereas some other you guys, you know, comedy or whatever. Um, it seems that different kind of stories are necessarily, I don't know if they're metaphysically true beyond human social need. Like, I'm not a material reductionist, but I could see, you know, certain things becoming real because people believe in them, like Agrigore uh, effects of, you know, minds linking together on objects or whatever. But my point is, um, well, I fucking lost my point of thought. I totally just spun out on some side quest. What do you guys want to talk about? I, I do this. I'm a Gemini. I tend to ramble and then just like lose my way really quickly. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I will pick up on that, on, on one of the things you were saying. Um, you know, to, to me, that's been something that's been evolving consistently throughout my life is, uh, you know, the real, right? Because when you, when you have this gnosis experience, um, then you really get and internalize that it's all one, you know? Um, and I think there's a tendency when that is, when that point is reached initially to be like, okay, well, this whole physical world of forms and appearances is illusion. It's bullshit. And to really reduce it. But, you know, on, on a closer inspection, um, it's here and it's real via our experience of it. Just like I said, you know, we can we can meditate, but then you're going to have to eat something. You're going to have to take a shit. You're going to be mad at some point during the day. You know, like this is you're immersed in a human experience and you, you can't really deny it. And what gets nor- tricky there is what determines what quote a human experience is might not be us standard thing a it, for all of us now nor a standard over time like when you know when i say yugas it's like i don't know if you believe in atlantis and shit like that but it's like there might have been times when it was like people were all psychic and not needing to talk and no one everyone was vibing really well and now we have times where we don't know what truth is and the media is dictating corporate you know agendas causing us to live certain ways to become more like chattel or whatever like it's it's an interesting time to be alive i didn't mean to cut you off but i'm just like even the idea, sometimes I find it amusing, like people like, you know, kind of golden age it in a sense, like that's what it means to be human. Let's not go towards these new values and norms because that's not what it means to be human. Like uh, transhumanism, for example, which I'm not pushing necessarily at all. Um, but that's a good example. Some people are like that's just the necessary next step in the dance of being, quote, human. And then some people think that's like, you know, abhorrent and you know, really sketchy ethically, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, well, and you're absolutely right. I, I did not presume to, uh, assign, uh, uh, universality to, uh, to, to, you know, human condition, but I, I guess my, my... Deli on it. I was just thinking out loud, uh, you know, when you said that, I was like, huh, <laughs> you know, that brings up with a point. So I just kind of rambled, sorry, but I was, dude, you're a smart monkey and you, you know, you get it. It seems like, so don't think I was trying to like get you or something like that. Like I'm not at all. You're chilling. And then just and, to uh, counterbalance your statement when you brought it up, it was like, yeah, sure. I mean, there's infinite variegatedness as they say and differentiation. However, for practical purposes, and one can then still falsify this on a case by case basis, however you call it, or have exceptions. But at least currently, most people need to eat, need shelter need love, you know, Well, isn't that the kind of the thing about like yogis where they pop through or like, I mean, isn't that one of the qualities? Of course, that's also possible. Like, holy shit, you're not eating for 40 days. What the fuck? 
of course i'm saying it's not entirely universal but it can serve as like a the way i see it at least societally in terms of what what could we all agree on just like indigenous uh, societies for the most part agreed on the idea that all resources must be shared and it's literally forbidden for anyone not to have sh shelter or food or whatever they need to as i would say you know continue living their excitement or at least continue being a participating member in the larger society and be able to contribute by giving everyone the means so i just want to say seen from that point of view i think there's some aspects we can agree on but we got a, off on a huge tangent so sam bring us back if you can <laughs> no i appreciate it it's all like super fascinating um you know i my, my main my main point is that um uh if, if you do accept the tenet of oneness as the absolute reality and you simultaneously accept your experience in form in a relational existence or a transactional existence you know uh then you know you get to play with the idea of like why is this going on what's the significance one relative to the other and again like to, to me a lot of it resides with like do what do you accept a one self that is infinite and you know if you accept the idea of an infinite self then it follows that everything else is a dance of that one self and and theoretically you know or presumably under under a, a unified will but um that's the whole like ram das we're all walking each other home model sure i mean it's the standard vedic model or hindu model you know but uh where it gets really interesting to me is when we play with the idea of of the nothing of nothingness and um there, there's this great mo model in uh meher baba book that kind of attempts to to show like a, a sketch up of the relationship of, of nothingness, uh, the infinite nothingness as a field of activity upon which is projected in a Big Bang type sense or a mirror type sense, the one infinite self and all these like myriad forms playing with each other. And to me, like one of the most important philosophical, maybe the most important philosophical question in my mind is what reasons uh were there are there for an infinite one to manifest in varied forms in myriad forms here and uh you know i i can think of several what are but conclusions that's, yeah what are some conclusions you've got well I, you know again the the basic characteristic of the self being being love and that's a extreme reduction the, the 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 true nature is inconceivable so we'll start with that but you know the 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 basic you know direction being love um to me one of the big reasons is to 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 know itself and to experience love relationship in all the different ways that could possibly occur because being love and being singular infinite and singular you know, there's a, I don't know if, I don't think craving is the right word, but there's a desire for the beloved. And the only beloved that exists is itself. 
And so it, it, it has this like, you know, desire, this ripple to create these myriad forms so that every single potential possible lover beloved relationship can be realized and in so doing fulfill that desire uh to be yourself to to be love and to to outwardly radiate that that love that energy towards this beloved you know in in a way to worship and know better oneself uh, i also think context is a huge one as in you know you really don't know how good a fire and a and a hot meal are until you've been uh, dashed on the rocks in a, you know, storm in the ocean and are, uh, an inch from, uh, uh, high, uh, from, from, you know, freezing and drowning. Um, Perspective is one hell of a drug. Exactly, man. Exactly. Uh, you know, and there's, there's a, there's a few more, but I, I think those are two like really compelling ones. And, and the real answer is I have no fucking clue. Because what a huge question. And I, I know that there's there's many answers I haven't talked about. And I think it's really funny that whenever a guru seems to be asked this question, they just ignore it or they kind of laugh and they're like, well, you want the whole, you know, <laughs> bundle of secrets? Like, you'll find out. Like, don't worry. It's not something you need to worry yourself about right now. <laughs> well, it gets tricky because, I mean, uh, I think there's um, two kind of, so I live right next to the Continental Divide in Colorado right now, and um, there's kind of Continental Divide uh, right where, on the one hand, things are uh, – oh, man, I am spacing on the wording that I was thinking of. Let me gather my thoughts. Uh, Raphael, talk <laughs> or something. You're a joker. So, I mean, to me, without wanting to spill all the beans and – I think you described it well. Love is the you know reductionist name one can apply. It is this ineffable mysterium tremendum. However, as to the question as to why, I guess here the point is more that answering that question may not bring one ahead so much. Although for me, I really love understanding things also logically. Even though I completely agree with you, I see the grand delineation between those that are truly embodied and that's kind of strange because then you real it almost seems like most people that are not quote unquote awakened they just seem to be like puppets on a string neither really being aware of the puppets nor the string or something and then once you become more aware or awaken or however then you realize you are in this world but not of this world and this gives at least to me sometimes this paradoxical result that i observed in many that this high spiritual insight actually caused a strong care and understanding for the body as well, so that these are somehow intertwined. And as to the question, why, I would just say because the infinite one is infinite and is one and just wanted to experience itself. And in order to do that, it has to create reflections. There is just no other now. option. Entertain us. Exactly. <laughs> the ultimate degree. Exactly. And... I mean, that to me, just logically and also in terms of emotionality or whatever spiritual insight totally checks out, always makes me smile and laugh. And uh, yeah, that's how it seems to me. And then all the variations, of course, as Jim says, we are experiencing now and we can at least choose to see it in an exciting way, let's say. I think it could be confusing and terrifying and weird. 
Uh, it's not, I mean, you know, acid is a funny thing. We were talking about that at some point, uh, maybe in the green room, but, um, like some of my favorite acid trips have been listening to like the Beatles from Rubber Soul on. And it's just been like, holy shit, it's all about love. And what you were saying where it's like, oh, it's kind of reductionistic. It's like, it's not when you're talking about the fabric of consciousness, I guess you could call it or something. It's like, that is what it is. I right, guess, right. Love. Um, but, uh, Oh my god, I am running on fumes or something today. I'm spacing on my my thoughts or not. Like every train well, track right. I build just disappears into a canyon. <laughs> it's kind of it tragic. Is I apologize. The fabric of consciousness and, you know, the synchronicity. But Sam, what do you think about this idea? Or uh, Because in a sense, or even just about the concept, and we discussed this here many times, would be interesting to know your view. You know, we can all agree, I guess, the Mysterium is infinite ultimately. And uh, it even on many different layers by design it is technically impossible to comprehend the whole thing because then you would literally have to be all that is and that again that's just a different level let's say um but at the same time i very much have the impression i even want to go so far as to say belief knowledge conviction understanding that we very much are able to understand a great deal of many things at least much more deeply than common you know society has led us to believe because one big aspect which you kind of mentioned in conjunction with the church that vibed through for me is still this concept that you know creator and creation are separated so you're still kind of being put down and this may also include oh you're just you know silly child you can't really understand and even if you really try and you understand a lot it's true you don't really can understand everything because you're not yet all that is but still it makes a great difference uh, after this threshold of a certain gnosis is reached, uh, dare I say. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, and I think a big part of that is the meaning making uh, that's involved in that. And there's a beautiful exposition. I, I love that, Raphael. And, um, you know, um, I, I think separation. Well, first, I'd like to say that, you know, the intellect is a pointing to, and, you know, we, we have the Tao Te Ching, he who knows speaks not, he who speaks knows not, right? And um, sure. there's something Exemplifying to that. so much today, aren't I? I'm like, I have no clue what I'm saying. Here, let me talk around that for a second. Sorry, keep going. I just thought it was funny. It's like, oh, shit, there, smack in the face with the Tao Te Ching. It's all real here in the Hall of Mirrors, <laughs> Sam continues. Exactly. No, so, I mean, uh, all of this is a pointing to. And, you know, I, again, I, I, I love um, spiritual teachers because, you know, w w once you get a sniff of it, like, that's what I'm a junkie for now. Like, but it's it's something that you can talk about till you're blue in the face and not get much closer to it. But um, it's something that you must be. It's 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 purely experiential. It, it's something that to, to really understand it, you must be. And, you know, um, the part of the conceptual thing is is that to to really even understand the vastness of this planet alone much less this solar system physical universe is really beyond our capability uh and and so the the intellect is, is so weak but you know the intellect is a wonderful servant and a terrible master and i i think what this what what that gnosis really does is it gives a perspective it gives a relative perspective to 
really assimilate and make meaning of life with. And um, you don't get lost so much. Uh, what I what I call it in the class that we developed is zoom in, zoom out. You know, because especially when things are going wrong, it seems like your whole world is this event. Your whole world is what this person said about you, whatever, you know, and and one of the best tools, one of the best resources we have for for being like healthy in mind, spirit, emotion is is to zoom out and see it for that little pebble on the sidewalk or brick in the wall or what, what have you. Um, so I think Gnosis gives a much richer perspective to to daily life. Um, and I think that's that's a great, great gift. So here's a mind fuck. I mean, we've talked about it before on the podcast where because I think a lot of people who are on spiritual pursuits, like you have Jupiter in Gemini, which is cool, and ninth house. Uh, so you're going to love the pursuit of truth. I mean, that's like your thing, basically your drug and where you're lucky. So never Absolutely. give up on that. Like you're an eternal student teacher, like, you know, life. Um, but the funny thing is uh, about trying to figure out uh, the ineffable, uh, well, it, it's a paradox. I, I mean, obviously I'm a Gemini, so I'm always going to come down to this point, but it seems like it's a paradox between uh, our situatedness, like right, like you were saying, our creatureliness, um, and our having to kind of deal with time, DNA, evolution, you know, uh, variations in social conditions that create certain products that change the universe and, and all this jazz. And then at the same time being one, I'm kind of curious how you um, how you personally kind of jumped between going from uh, Hindu thinking. Uh, you said that really appealed to you. What was the most appealing aspect? I mean, growing up with like kind of dogma and you know um, of Christianity, like it's not like you were lacking necessarily in tradition. Uh, what was what was appealing to the Hindu kind of pantheon and uh, worldview? And what have you kind of retained from it? Well, the, the thing that really appealed to me most was the cosmology. Like, I am utterly fascinated in beginnings. Um, uh, the Lord of the Rings, I, that was my first work of fiction that I just loved. And um, I think what I might have enjoyed even more is like the Silmarillion and the the, the origin stories of it, um, the mythology there. Yeah, yeah, you got it. So, um, in that in that same sense, um, the cosmology part really made a made a ton of sense because I love the idea of consciousness developing through forms. So, for those who don't know, the basic idea is that when consciousness first comes from the one infinite into um, an embodied, you know, uh, incarnation, uh, we have first mineral the mineral world and it goes and it associates the consciousness associates itself with mineral forms from the very most basic say hydrogen up to the very most complex in the mineral world and there are um you know potentially all kinds of lessons and experiences to be had and to be learned through those forms and then once those are exhausted um I, i'll backtrack real quick to say desire is a huge part of this and um there's a there's a desire for experience a desire for knowledge and uh that drives this whole process but you know once once the mineral forms are exhausted then we go to plant you know uh plant forms or i might be missing something but then uh you know insect or 
uh, animal. And, the, and then the, the Hindu cosmology posits that the last animal incarnation and the first human incarnation is basically the farthest we get from God. So it's the, the, the apex of, of separation. And, um, you know, I think part of that is a self-awareness. Um, whereas, you know, animals and, and all the previous incarnations are more just like it completely here and now there's no thought of deeper meaning. There's no, there's little to no thought of like preparation for tomorrow or, or memories of yesterday. It's just like, I'm here now and I'm hungry. So I'm going to on the plane, yeah. Yeah. chomping on the grass with the fly in his face, just chilling. Exactly. You know, so, so that, uh, that part of it really, really spoke to me and, and resonated with something deep within me. Uh, I'll also say the idea of karma and not the, because, you know, as a kid, when I was introduced to karma, it was just like, well, if you do bad things, you're going to be reincarnated as a donkey or grasshopper or something. And if you could do good things then you'll have a, a great, you know, it might be reincarnated as a king or something. And, and that's far too short-sighted and, and more disturbingly, it's, it's, it's incredibly punitive and you know karma translates literally to your action right to action and uh in that respect what we're talking about with karma is just that again there's this drive to experience what each new form has to offer in terms of experience in terms of lessons in terms of joys and pleasures and pain and suffering and if we inflict a certain type of suffering, for example, uh, on another soul, on another incarnation, then there's some kind of implicit drive to feel all sides of that experience. So if we were to murder someone, then there's um, uh, a, a binding on the soul to feel all parts of that whole process. So necessarily, we must submit to be murdered as a result of our karma. And one more thing I'll say about that is that, and most people don't understand that Christianity uh, subscribed to karma or featured karma as a core belief up until, uh, I believe it was sometimes in the, in the, in the four, 400s uh, Council of Constantine. Um, I'll have to double check that. Uh, I do have a degree, a master's degree in history, so I should be more up on my dates and uh and titles here but there was a, a council in the, in the 400s that uh decided of that, yes yeah I, yeah I think it was the second council of Nicaea yeah yeah that's always the good one it's everything comes yeah. back to yeah <laughs> <laughs> nice thank you very much and uh you know the the idea from from what I've learned is that you know they were saying you know people need to think they only have one lifetime so they need to get to god now Otherwise, it might be too late and we'll tell them they burn in hell forever and that will, you know, but I think what the result was there were people like, fuck, if I only have one lifetime, I'm going to get as much, you know, partying in or whatever. I want to get as much satiation of physical pleasure as I possibly can. And it, and it actually counter or backfired, you know. Yeah, it's a weird shit show down here. I mean, we've got people telling each other all sorts of stories and then the the weird thing for me is like what's true versus what's true uh what's real they're kind of different things because you know uh like in the matrix movies or whatever you know at the end of the first matrix he's like they can see him they try to shoot him and you know it's like it, 
he's he's really in the matrix, but it's true they can't kill him or you know whatever. Um, because I think on the one hand, <clears throat> there's this weird kind of truism. Now I'm trying to over not overuse the same terms. Uh, that like you know all the paths lead to the point or whatever, which is fine. Um, but at the same time, it seems like some uh, and this is maybe judgmental on my part, but it's like some paths are less helpful maybe. Uh, but then that gets into presuppositions like maybe some people, like Raphael, I, I think, would argue like some people are preferring to experience certain lessons, so they're going to go through them. Um, which gets really tricky in terms of like large scale moral situations like the Holocaust, where it's like, oh, then everyone just, like, moral culpability kind of becomes an issue. Anyway, I'm rambling. I have a tendency to do so. I've even actually, in the in all this rambling and listening to you guys talk, thought of this, some of those things I was spacing out on in terms of the continental divide analogy and some of the shit that I was rambling about. But I think maybe we should take a quick music break. I'll gather my thoughts. Raphael, um, if you have any kind of directions you want to take this in, or Sam, we could kind of talk about anything you're obviously knowledgeable. We could get to specifics about, like, you know, Nietzsche or anything like that, or we can wax on, you know, <laughs> crypto and the direction of things or whatever's clever. Uh, but this is actually a funny um, a song from a game, I think, called The Cosmic Game, I think, is the album. It's a Thievery Corporation song, and it's funny in uh, relationship to kind of what we're talking about that it's coming from an album called the cosmic game but anyway enjoy all right so we're back in five minutes and we are back jim did you recreate yourself not as well as i would hope uh i forgot how dope thievery is um i've been uh having just a fogginess of mind for many reasons for the past couple weeks so i do apologize for my non-clarity of finishing thoughts and all that kind of shit um is there anything you guys want to talk about in particular well don't overwork yourself i have a few ideas uh nice. sam i'd like you to go f first sam yeah yes. so um you know i i think um to continue uh the, the last question uh the concept of maya and how it relates to satan i think is a really rich and interesting topic um in terms of what's real versus what's true uh i also think at some point it'd be good to kind of talk a little bit about what's going on lately because we're in a um, extremely uh i don't even know how to say it uh a really <laughs> yeah that's good that's good and um you know finally i'd like to like uh plug a little bit just for mindfulness in general and, and how I think it's um, an absolute tonic for, for these times. Well, that seems like a good little checklist. I know you got yeah. to bring them in. So, I mean, we could talk about uh, those three things unless Raphael wanted to interject something else too. Yeah, you know, I'm hitting here around here. No, I want to say, <clears throat> great. What I, the first thing that comes to mind, we've spoken about this here before, and I'm always wondering, like, you know, there's this Jiddu Krishnamurti sample who will listen you know the pope won't listen to us the politicians won't listen to us and he's like talking about you know the nature of conscious or something yeah um <laughs> so anyhow who could listen to this but anyways um even steiner as far as i understand laid it out funnily enough with the red and blue not pill but pill r whereas the blue pillar interestingly enough is like in masonry the outer court and so on and like in this case the illusory world of sensation let's say and the red pillar pill r actually represents the 
truer or the fundamental underlying nature. So it is not that, however, one could say, maybe one could define one as more true or the other, but it's really mainly about understanding the proper relationship and being able to trace causation in a sense, even though causation is also an arbitrary construction to the specificity that we have encultured ourselves in. However, at least in terms of frequency, there is a clear correlation and uh, that's just a completely different understanding. And that relates back to what you say about Maya, where this would be the blue layer, blue pillar, blue level, where everyone can be very much confused. And yeah, I'm usually not one to say it in that sense, but really here and in the current time, I see that as truly life-threatening and dangerous, crazily enough. And probably it's always been that way, but it's never been so on point as it is now in terms of whether one is able to see through the Maya or not. Just like this recent Bill Hicks um, sample someone posted in the group about him saying, yeah, I'm able to see, due to my experience with psychedelic uh, drugs, I am able to see right through you. Yeah, haha, <laughs> pun intended, right? Same here on mute, just so you know. Okay, yeah, I mean, the, a lot to be said there. Yeah, who is going to listen, you know? And uh, I love the uh, the analogy uh, Alan Watts makes. Is like, you know, true wisdom and, and truth is, is like a swim in the wilderness. And it's there doing its thing. And if people want to walk by and take a drink, wonderful. That's what I'm here for. But if not, I'm going to keep streaming. You know, that's that's who I am and that's what, what it is. Um, so, you know, in that spirit, <clears throat> uh, I think uh, when, we're, when we're talking about Maya, one thing I love about Hinduism is that it doesn't see Maya as essentially evil. It sees it as, you know, an, an enabler for this world of forms. It's, it's the illusion, but there's a like dual spirit, both of deception and of play and artistry and beauty. You know, and um, I, I think it's good to maintain that balance or that perspective that contains both of those. And I, I think it's it's interesting in the parallel to Satan. You know, um, we have so many ideas in the West, at least, about what what Satan is about and utterly evil, etc. But you know, Satan is just the the temptress that that lures us into thinking that all there is is the forms right like all there is is the physical world and the spiritual is just bullshit or yeah nice but doesn't really matter and um you know i think it's very relevant to these times here because i think that's what some of these uh you know controlling forces behind all the governments that are really pulling the string um really trying to reinforce in us is that the extrinsic the the forms the money um the power that's what really matters and everything else is bullshit and i see that as an epidemic in america especially that you know when you ask kids like what they want to do what they want to be it's usually i want to make a shit ton of money yeah i want to be famous you know i want extrinsic worth extrinsic value i want everybody to see how great i am and they're going to see how great i am through these extrinsic measures like how much money i make what kind of clothes i wear what i drive etc 
where, you know, the, the lesson of mindfulness and the lesson of life for me is it's the intrinsic things that really, really are going to make, are going to lead to happiness or fulfillment or meaning, you know, like the longest ever run uh, study on human happiness and well-being was done at Harvard and it's uh, past its 80th year now, I know, but um, it took, you know, students, so uh, more religion or wealthy uh, sect and a, and a bunch of people just from Boston who are, um, you know, general laborers, shit like that, where they come from really low uh means and uh and stations and what they found was that the most important uh uh variable for well-being and for happiness is the quality of our relationships and it can only be one it doesn't have to be a bunch of them but if you have one really solid relationship where you can be completely authentic completely vulnerable and be held and understood and valued and cherished, then that is by far the most important factor. So uh, that's part of what, you know, we, we teach in the, in the curriculum I uh, developed with some people is that these are the things that, you know, really make life worth living. And to do these things effectively, you have to have some measure of self-knowledge. You have to know yourself. And um, this is what will lead to your happiness, even though we have commercials and, and all kinds of media and culture screaming at us that we have to have this, we have to have that, and that we're not good enough. I feel like I'm rambling now. I can pass the mic. <laughs> no, you're cool. That's what we're here for. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. It's a paradox. It seems like, I, on the one hand, it's like this is a game or a dream we're asked to be in, and at the same time, it's like, don't take it too seriously. You can't take it with you, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, so, yeah, the I'm fundamental ahead, uh, shift you're pointing out is again something that the at least uh, anthroposophists have warned about a hundred years ago as well, along with Steiner, who even to bring it to current events was deliberately warning against a certain type of injection that would be used to further increase the illusion of separation be between creator and creation let's put it that way um absolutely and the whole materialism thing is because i read at least you know vasily kandinsky about the spiritual and art you know you can maybe pick up any of these books from this kind of culture group during that time and they were all basically back then over 100 years ago going crazy and warning everyone and being like oh my god if this materialism takes over we're really in deep trouble and that's exactly what happened with even more, you know, bad technology, engineered scarcity, engineered uh, planned obsolescence, uh, all these bad stuff, hierarchical top-down control structures that are super uh, fragile, basically. And finally, you know, we get to see that. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of an old story. But also Steiner pointed out 100 years ago that around the time now, so starting from 2016, actually, according to his counting, there would be another chance for, let's say, a more integrated understanding of the human being after this maybe particularly dark uh, stretch of the hopefully last uh, parts of the Kali Yuga, right? Absolutely. They're, they're, that's such a great reminder. And I'm aware of the St Rudolf Steiner things and, and God, it seems so prophetic now. 
Um, I'd, I'd like to take a quick aside to to really talk about like what what that would look like and what's what's a real ideal you know structure or form which to you know through which humanity can can flourish because um you hit the nail on the head on all those things that that you named that are that are really bad bad news for humanity um you know uh um there's there's a quote by dan siegel um who's a you know uh interpersonal neurobiologist on the west of america and, and he says uh for a system to be working at its best at its most healthy healthy at its optimum level there needs to be maximum diversity and maximum connection and to me the answer really lies in uh decentralization and you know a lot of people freak out when you say that because they're like well how are we going to get this that and the other to work well the governing structures uh are there to um to to facilitate connection to to put around like to 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 broadcast best practices to coordinate things like funding and value creation and resource allocation and all those things but it seems to me very very clear that um, the more centralized we are, the more corruption there is because people don't have a stake in the game. You know, I think that's a big problem of what's going on right now is how many of us are really involved in our government? And I think the answer is a lot fewer than should be. Uh, and I think a big reason for that is this thing of like, well, there's nothing we can do. There's no change we can really affect. And I think, you know, 10,000 people aren't as powerful as five lobbyists are. You know, today, when it comes to uh, getting legislation pushed through even. So I, I think that decentralization is something we should increasingly be looking at and, and having communities that are really connected um, in, in the same spirit as the tribal model, where a, a whole village, it raises the children, etc. And there's so much science out there to, uh, to really support that. Be interested to hear what you guys think. I'd say the assessment on this is pretty clear. I'd be curious just briefly about when would you say you've come to that understanding or conclusion in that you could formulate it clearly for yourself? Uh, I think that was about 10 years ago. And I would talk to my professors and right. be like, you know, please shoot this down. Tell me what's what's bad about these models and the, the only thing that anyone could say is that well we need these greater structures for funding scientific you know research and blah, and, blah. And, yeah and i think there are definitely ways to get creative with that like you know the 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 topic that rafael and i connected on was this new cult of scientism and technocracy and i think this is you know, really big pervasive thing lately is the trust the science thing. It was like the, the, the whole argument in that, you know, that group, that, that way of thinking is the most unscientific thing you could possibly come across. Like we're, we're, we're disdaining critical thinking and, um, you know, saying, you know, we can't understand this. We need people who are better than us to understand this, these doctors and these scientists. Right. But if you really have conversations with a lot of these doctors and scientists, they don't find know shit themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Oftentimes. Yeah. Exactly. Well, 
Exactly. And a lot of what they're saying is pure indoctrination. Like, well, I learned this in medical school. Well, who decides what you learn in medical school? Uh, increasingly, it's pharmaceutical companies, you know. So um, I'd say the scientific spirit is that of, of observation, biased observation, um, and critical thinking, and uh, testing through thorough examination, again, unbiased examination of results in trials when you uh, when you roll it out in the real world. And I don't think we're we're following that spirit in the least, you know. And I think that's a lot of what really is blown up around the whole COVID situation is that there's uh, uh, willful misinformation and propaganda and contradiction in the official, you know, you can go out there and find plenty of Fauci interviews where he's like, eh, people don't have to wear masks. That's bad. You know, masks are not good for us. These are for health care workers and things like that. And in that scenario, people should not be going around wearing masks. And then what do you know, like three months later, you got to wear a fucking mask everywhere. And just on that issue, I'd like to mention that people don't really think about uh, the fact that childhood development requires emotional and social intelligence requires uh, us to learn as children how to interpret uh, facial expressions and learn what the emotional meaning behind that is and and what constitutes a threat and what constitutes an opportunity. Also, those who are hard of hearing and need to read lips have suffered immensely. And I'll also mention a large part of the uh, population who has severe trauma from, you know, violent trauma. Again, that theme of like really being able to recognize a threat and an opportunity, a friend and a foe. These are big things that really, really tax our nervous system in ways that are extremely destructive. Um, so just those those groups alone. Plus, you know, you can ask anyone you want to show a study where masks are shown to prevent the transmission of COVID and they can't find it for you because to my knowledge, at least it does not exist. And I've looked. And the, the latest one that I'm aware of, the Denmark study during COVID times showed an absolute zero change in transmission of COVID for masked and unmasked populations. Yet people are, you know, thoroughly and utterly convinced that you've got to wear masks. Exactly. And there's even though you can't it. find a proper study on it that, you know, let's not even talk about placebo groups and so on in terms of how studies should be conducted. But it is true and astounding that most of the studies that even get submitted Many may have misleading titles and so on, and, you know, give a reason to those that scream trust the science to give them an excuse. But then those that actually look into those papers then find that the argument is crumbling within itself or then different words are being used as, for example, the difference between isolation and isolate and, you know, other jokes like that. But we can continue on that route. I'm also curious as to what Jim says about it, just to briefly come back in terms of distribution. So it's curious because maybe that's why I asked. For me, it was very similar also about 10 years ago that I went around with this even to like a conference and was talking about distribution. But of course, that's at least at that point, nothing you can make money with. That's more a tool to destroy entire markets and remove middlemen and so on, which is awesome because it benefits everyone, but doesn't really, you know, fit well into, into a venture capitalist, build a user base and then enslave them you know, Airbnb, Uber, Facebook type model, which was so much on Vogue back then. 
and I guess in the minds of many, uh, unfortunately, still is. However, it comes down to the idea of individual empowerment, also related to religion, as we mentioned earlier, in terms of, you know, who is smarter than you, what authority do you need, do you make yourself believe you put in front of you? And because the joke is, of course, people don't realize that they still retain their authority, even if they pretend that they delegate it to their favorite science, supposed scientist or statement or imagination. So um, North Koreans are basically just like playing the most ultimate game of kinky, whatever. <laughs> how do you mean? I was being facetious. Uh, no, I'm just thinking out loud uh, because um, with what we're saying with that model, it's like people give, like you're saying everyone, like <clears throat> even if you're a slave, you have all the power that, you, of course, that you're yes. pining for or whatever. And the difference is, of course, I mean, that's a great uh, comparison, actually, because according to at least one study around 1953 or something, I just saw the sum summary, is that the techniques being employed now by governments around the world in terms of arbitrary and nonsensical regulations actually is, a, let's say, at that point, North Korean mind control tactic to, you know, confuse and break the spirits of prisoners. And the terminology for this, if I remember correctly, is called white torture, also associated with the idea of, you know, covering your mask and basically removing the ability to properly sense your environment, as Sam had pointed out. So there is a relationship here. And, you know, there is who knows what's going to happen there. It's also a very interesting scenario we could talk about. Um, I'm super interested because it's such an interesting case study to the degree that we can understand it. However, for the most part, and probably most everyone listening, <laughs> as I don't assume North Korean diplomats are listening to this podcast, but who knows? Um, they're not living That's in that situation. That's how we know we've made it. So, Raphael, so yeah, yeah, I know. North Korean diplomats are listening. But what I would just want to say is most people now are not in that position. So here it's not like, oh, I remove my consent or I don't agree with that authority. I'm getting shot immediately. We're on a completely different wavelength in that sense. So we can take a stand on a different level. And especially if we would want to have compassion for people living in a situation like there, we wouldn't say like, oh, we have it so much better, but we would have to say, oh, they have it the worst. We're on the path trajectory towards that, you know, realization. We have to really draw a red line somewhere. At least that's been my impression the past months. Right. I mean, with the North Korea kind of example, it gets tricky to me because I, I don't, it might not be an either or. It could be both a multidimensional thing um, where it's like, are these people suffering and need to be, you know, given Western principles or do they, hold on. Sorry, I sneezed. Or, uh, you know, are these people choosing some karmic lesson that we shouldn't involve ourselves in? Uh, this is the penance or, you know, however one wants to look at that. It gets really tricky. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> you bring a, a, a good point with the whole karmic lesson thing, because, uh, you know, uh, how, how do you how do you how do you take those esoteric truths and walk meaningfully, have them inform, um, you know, it, action and integrity and, and authenticity uh, without losing yourself and losing your mind uh, um, when, when some real nefarious stuff is going on. And it's, uh, it, it's a really complex question that I'm not sure I have a complete answer to, but, you know, I think 
you know, you said earlier uh, in our talk that, you know, it comes back to the body. And I think that that being really aware of the body, living in the body, not dissociating um, and, and feeling a connection towards uh, you know, nature, towards the earth, towards uh, a community, hopefully, if you have access to that um, with animals like these are things that bring us back to more like reality and um you know uh I i've felt absolutely a uh, uh a desire to just like go out to the country and have like, just like disconnect and i think there's a big difference between unplugging from the system as you call it and um and disconnecting or being a hermit um and, and i think you know, by just speaking your truth in a, in a grounded, hopefully loving uh, way, energy. Uh, I think the energy you bring to a descent is uh, sometimes more uh, impactful than the descent itself, the words of the descent. But um, I think it's really, really important that we find the courage to to speak uh, of what we, we hold to be true and, uh, um, you know, object when we see something really objectionable like this but but yet not lose ourselves in the in the conflict and um uh, preserve those boundaries and and feed those parts of ourselves which are more representative of of deeper truths and uh, of connection that we share with what is um in all the ways that that's true That's what's up. So uh, we, we've covered Maya, I think. I don't know if you said everything you wanted to say about Satan in terms of Maya. Uh, is there anything on that part you want to speak about? Um, well, you know, again, uh, I think um, it's that relationship piece. Okay, so so the physical world or materialism in and of itself, like these things are not bad. You know, they're they're the vehicle for experience that we've collectively chosen um but it's what what's bad it's the saying you know it's not money is the root of all evil no it's the love of money is the root of all evil so when we use these you know physical vehicles in service of you know a soul calling or or you know a, a deep spiritual desire or mm, you know design then then they're wonderful and they're to be celebrated it's when we lose sight of the of the whole reason for it um and and place the the material on upon a pedestal to the uh exclusion of all else that they become extremely problematic and and therein lies the the source of uh like real separation and um you know these the manufactured scarcity and the the zero sum game where we step on everyone we can to to get to what we believe is the top. Um, I guess that was like the main message and and what I find interesting about uh, uh, Satan and uh, Maya there. Yeah, agreed. Ultimately, it's in a sense. A mind trick one could say to fall into this, these illusions of scar scarcity you may be familiar with one chapter we've read on here quite a few times uh, from manly palmer hall secret teachings of all ages whereas in the chapter cabalistic keys and the creation of men it speaks of this very idea that you mentioned in terms of satan 
in this archetypical form simply representing this temptation of the material but actually containing within it the salvation of eventually this is the part of the play in that chapter coming to realize the the limitation of it in a sense and the falsity and ultimately it's i believe about the discussion of eternity when adam wants to enter again in the garden of eden or the kingdom of heaven or however you would want to call it and adam is kind of out of you know self-awareness explaining like you tried always to put me down but i know i've always been infinite and so on and i'm part of all of that and then yeah the the devil reveals itself ultimately to be an angel and be like yeah thank you you finally learned your lesson and if i wouldn't have tried to trick and tempt you so hard you wouldn't really have found out for yourself so in, from that point of view it's a very you know real and valid mechanism even though let's say in everyday life it may appear quite gruesome sometimes <laughs> absolutely i love that you know and I'd expand that even further. I've never heard of that book, so I'm really interested to hear you mention that and put it on the reading list. But, you know, I, th I think it's too reductionist to say, you know, you, you've you've learned all your lessons. And I'm sure that wasn't your your intent or anything that there, it encompasses more than that. But um, again, like, yes, it's like a learning ground and it's uh, 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 it's like a canvas for artistry and it's um you know, um, uh, a vehicle for relationship and for the expression of love, you know, and that there's like just so many things that you can't really wrap your head around it to say that it's just this, that, and the other, that, um, life is here for, uh, to go through, to get to that. And I think, you know, a lot of, uh, spiritual bypassing exists out there where we just want to like, get away from this world and to the spiritual and and i've been there and i get it uh but as you know ram das as like uh his uh his non-physical friend was like well you're here you're probably here for a reason why don't you take the curriculum and that's such a profound statement to me like why don't you take the curriculum um you know a lot of times it's it's a really tough one but uh, I think it's important to remember it as an opportunity. And, um, you know, that's been a great lesson of spirituality for me is that, uh, you know, I, I don't get into too much new age things. I've, I've been there and I think there are a lot of problems with a lot of new age stuff. But um, I think the idea that fundamentally this experience is for you, it's here to serve you. Um, and uh it's so hard to see that sometimes when life gets like really tough and, and there's much grief and i've been there too uh but i think um almost always when one is on a path of self-discovery and self-growth uh when we look back through those really difficult times we see that it had been any other way for us to be who we are for this heart to be open for this mind hold the wisdom it does you know um it had to be that way and uh we end up thanking life or universe or god for uh for for those experiences as as horrible as they were while we were going through them so not to get too controversial but i'm kind of curious what you're uh uh, I'm not disagreeing or agreeing i'm kind of just curious um what you thought maybe some of the elements you felt were less than 
forthcoming or however you want to put that um, in the new age were, where you're like, oh, I was into that, but not anymore. Um, what might have turned your head on that? Uh, actually, it was a personal experience. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of spiritual bypassing that goes on in, in uh, new age um, teachings. Uh, but I also think there is a lot of psychic opening that and, and traps of agreement i might say um and uh i had the misfortune or fortune i don't know to see uh, a loved one of mine succumb to demonic possession and it sounds so far out and i wouldn't have believed in it um until i was right there in it and it, it it's it's hard to fathom and it's uh, I sound like a crazy person. I understand that when I when I say that, but um, I saw someone. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, what was the experience? <laughs> like, just presume uh, we believe you for a minute. You don't have to be on defense of your experience. Like, it's true for you for sure, at least. So, what happened? Uh, what happened is uh, I had a loved one who had um, some very serious trauma history. Um, be triggered in the the whole. Uh, race riot um thing going on in portland with black lives matter and everything and it just so happened that all of her experiences um in her trauma history in her childhood provided um you know uh, the, the 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 whole riot thing was a, a re-traumatization that mapped on really really closely to her existing trauma wounds and um I've since learned that trauma wounds and ego traps are the two uh, main points of entry for these like dark non-physical entities. Now, I will say that I've um, done a lot of like manifesting and uh, law of attraction type stuff and been actually aware of a non-physical entity. You could call it a spirit guide. I don't know. That's been with me since um, I remember it since being a teenager. Uh, hearing this kind of voice, this kind of unspoken voice, but my experience up to that point was all benevolent with benevolent entities, and um, it wasn't too in depth. It was more of a "huh, that's really interesting." But um, I saw this um, dark entity inhabit basically um, this loved one of mine, and uh, it was terrifying, and it completely changed who she was, and went from uh, being in a state of fear or pain or anger, maybe 15% of the time, to like, which is pretty normal for human beings, I think. It's a pretty healthy level. Uh, to After this experience, she was in those states 90 or more percent of the time and um, just paranoid. And she actually had like a Kundalini experience, this uh, intense trance-like, you know, ecstatic experience that I believe was induced by this entity within her um and their objective is basically to several sever all ties to, to loved ones to people who care about you to leave one um alone and abandoned and to suck energy in the form of uh, the louche which is basically you know intense emotion around pain fear and anger um and basically like turned her toxic and um again like uh she, she ended up having it diagnosed a complete psychotic break 
Um, and there's all kinds of frames of understanding we can apply to it, the ecological, the spiritual, the hyperdimensional, et cetera. But um, yeah, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I saw I was present for the actual um, possession experience and there was the eyes rolling up in the head and um, the mania and uh, her experience of it as she related it to me was that she was aware of the possession, the attempt at possession of her soul and that she believed she fought it off and then was approached by an angel who, who asked her to go on this mission, which basically constituted like choosing homelessness and, um, uh, you know, leaving her home, giving away all of her possessions and living out at the protests, basically all the time out of her car and the protests and just being a part of these protests. And I was there for the protests and the energy there was so dark and nasty and just like, uh, conflict. Um, I don't know how else to say it. It was, it was really, really dark. And I saw people losing their minds there consistently in Portland and, uh, really, really sad. Okay. So just briefly, because you've been to the scene, um, or to briefly reconstruct first, I mean, within my model, we just had Android Jones, Jones on who I think said the same thing about, uh, you know, possession. And I, just in terms of maybe a solution-oriented approach or understanding or whatever, would always ask the question, you know, what, like, what was the opening within her? Or did you just describe or did I understand correctly that the angel, I mean, did the angel ask her, like, you want to get possessed by a demon? Or how can I understand that in retrospect in terms of what happened afterwards? Uh, what I believe the angel, uh, because, you know, to me, these hyperdimensional entities, non-physical entities, um, these dark entities, they're, they're extremely intelligent, extremely clever, and they know us oftentimes better than we know ourselves. And, um, there was like a dual, like she in particular, like she grew up with a lot of physical abuse and emotional abuse, um, as a child and saw her siblings and her mother get beat pretty consistently and violently. And she would often try to stand between them and be like, oh, beat me instead. Because she loved her family so much and, and it was breaking her to see them, you know, abused like that. So in the same way, you know, she felt similarly towards, um, you know, what she received as uh, um, uh, black lives being uh, uh, systematically destroyed through police and systemic racism and all this and um so she felt like uh she needed to be a martyr and um right. i think that's the trauma wound that was upon and at the same time the ego trap was like the other side of that coin where she wanted so desperately to be a savior and she told me many times during the whole thing that she's like i'm a saint out there i'm a saint and and my response was usually like well if you say you're a saint then you ain't, you know, because <laughs> saints don't be telling you this. Anyway, um, you know, that, that's, that's what I was aware of. And, and I think, I think the, the uh, dark entity tried the director out first. And then when there was a, a hell no, cause she, she's a very spiritual person and brilliant PhD from John Hopkins, brilliant, brilliant woman and, um, great heart, beautiful heart. And, um, 
when that direct approach didn't work, then it said, okay, we're going to do the the backdoor route and we're going to appear as a, as an angel, um, probably mm-hmm. a, a dark skinned angel, you know, and, and our ancestor, um, was what she was into and, and say that, you know, uh, we need you, God needs you for this holy mission was what she believed. Okay. Still and believes. just without wanting to cut you off, just, just to bring the point home in a sense, this is super interesting because from a, let's say conspiratorial slash metaphysical archonic point of view, one would of course argue number one, I'm not sure if you're aware of this guy, um, Bamily or Mag, the bitter truth nation on Bitchute. The guy is so hilarious. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to send you both something of his. <laughs> but, awesome. Um, just the way he talks about it and like his perspective. I don't agree with everything, but he's super, super interesting. Anyways, uh, because also he recently brought this up again that, you know, Black Lives Matter, unfortunately, for all, uh, per- how do you say, for all something and purposes uh, is a intense. intense, yes, yes, exactly. Thank you. Is an astroturfed organization, to say the very least, government funded and so on. Um, and then, of course, you have BLM, Baal, what is the other one? Uh, Lucifer and Moloch and all kinds of strange symbolism. And if one understands the divisiveness inherent in ideas such as critical race theory and so on, especially in the overhyped ways and, you know, it's being presented, it makes very much sense. And to me, at least, always almost would make me think, again, in a, you know, seeing things on multiple layers and understanding that there are also all kinds of wizards on all sides, both in terms of media wizards and more magic wizards or rituals and so on, I could very well see that. And I'm sure there would even be postings of, you know, they did like Wiccan rituals and all kinds of that stuff, both like to get rid of Trump and I'm sure also in support of BLM. So, you know, not that this is all necessarily causally related, but at least in my view, I could very well see some kind of, let's say, quote unquote, demon lord uh, recruiting people to go there and like you say, basically lose their minds, you know? So very really no, absolutely. I couldn't agree with with that more. Um, no, uh, I think people, certain souls are targeted, and you know, there's a saying that's come up recently, like the the war is through us, and that's so accurate. And um, we were doing something together that was so powerful uh, in creating this uh, mindful. I call it a mindfulness curriculum, but it, it's it's more than that. It's like mindfulness plus. Uh, I've been a student of uh, you know the human condition for. Uh, my whole adult life and it's kind of like the combination of mindfulness and a lot of the uh, uh, stuff on trauma that's come out lately um, and uh, growth mindset and emotional agility and all of this really great like recent scientific discovery um, that is uh, uh, come out but not part of the uh, mainstream ethos you know not part of the mainstream consciousness yet and uh, combined with a lot of, you know, very, very uh, subtle spirituality because the, the great thing about a class like this or mindfulness is that it invites you to look for yourself. And what I always say to the kids was like, hey, if you have a Christian background or religious background, use it, you know, bring in those symbols and those feelings and those experiences to your self-exploration. And it's so powerful. If you don't, or if you like are atheists, then like wonderful, like, you know, orient that towards nature, like whatever's you, I'm not here to give you any 
doctrine or any kind of um, to sell you on anything. I want to invite you to explore and give you the tools to do so. But so my, my point is we were doing these powerful things and together we were just like a really powerful team. And whenever she would go to get Reiki, they, people would be like, holy shit, how can one body hold this much energy? You're such like a, a powerful being. And I experienced her as such. And I think that's the reason she was targeted. And, you know, to this day, she has like severe complex PTSD and bipolar disorder uh, by her own assessment um, and still hasn't, I don't think, been able to really admit that that this kind of thing went on but but i saw it very up close and personal and um the assessment of blm that you had like and my experience with the with the riots and protests just spot on like it, it's it's a hijacked movement and i love people of color of all colors and it's not like i don't see color i do but it's like eye color to me you know and i understand that there is a basis for saying that there's systemic racism and i understand that um there's been some really ugly things historically that have been centered on race but i see it nowadays is is more of a distraction and that's not to minimize it or say it's not real or i should say to minimize the suffering of people of color because i know it's real but um well, i hear what you're saying you don't have to feel like you know, uh, basically i mean you know united we stand divided we fall this is how the exactly exactly through uh special interest groups i'm not to make those people's perspectives or points of the platform like invalid but when you make a certain lens the meta narrative for everything in your reality that becomes problematic for people not with the same lens well said very well said and you know if we are going to apply a lens to things to me it's that you know, uh, corporate, uh, centralized, uh, you know, versus like normal old regular people. Uh, if, if you want some kind of lens, it's the, uh, the, to, to me, cause the, the problem with the old critical race theory as I've encountered it is that whiteness is, is equated with oppression or maybe I have that backwards. All oppression equals whiteness. And to me, that's just like, so not, relevant it's, it's so it's racist just, yeah it's racist too exactly and you know like let's just oppression oppression can we please you know because <laughs> that's what matters is the oppression not the color of the person doing it and you know the the activities and the sentiments of mainstream media to me like really um show that to be the case you know <laughs> like when, when it's a uh, a white on black crime it's like all over the news it's 24 hours a day and when it's uh you know the other way around or something people just shut up about it but that's neither here nor there um yeah i don't know if there's anything else you wanted to know about the whole uh uh dark uh, uh entity experience but that was uh yeah, I just really opened my eyes to to a dimension of things that um, I don't think most people are aware of, and I think most people ridicule, and, and I get it, but um, it's real. It's real, you know. It's not like it's portrayed in the movies, but it's a it's a real thing, and I, I don't believe that we're at the top of the food chain as we as we uh, think we are. Yeah, that's something that uh, I always kind of bring up with Raphael, where I mean. I'm all about unity consciousness and at you know certain levels, but I haven't jumped a threshold to be like, I still think of myself as a creature, like a creature. Oh, I can't speak a cre 
creational aspect, like a creation element, creature, not so much like, I mean, the whole idea of solipsism we get into a lot here, where it's like, I don't know how comfortable I am. I can understand in some quantum level and in some metaphorical kind of way being connected to everything, uh, but the idea that everything is like some vanilla sky projection of just my thoughts uh, is kind of odd. Uh, not to say that that's even incorrect, maybe it is, but then that, I don't know. It's, you know, I thought the whole point in an Alan Watts sense was like, a lot of responsibility. Say what? Yeah. So it'd be a lot of responsibility to at least contemplate well, that's what the Alan idea. Alan Watts' whole joke is. Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, what if I were God? Oh my, it'd be, look at all, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like all these, you know, Epstein Islands and stuff, that's your fault. Or <laughs> it's like shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, as Alan Watts says, if, if that's true, then like, which one of you at a conference of solipsists, like, who, which one of you is real? <laughs> you know? Well, it's weird because I've been to, um, I met Hannah, who's been a guest on uh, the show a few times, um, Craven, at a uh, synchronicity summit in Boise, Idaho, um, called, well, it's a group of friends we have called the com, and um, some of them joined the summit a few years ago. Anyway, and we were talking kind of about Penrose tiling and weird shit like what we're talking about now, like with like, you know, centers of consciousness and maybe there's only like five people running the program at any one point. And I had this moment where it felt like I was maybe sitting at, you know, as an elect, it's almost like Monopoly pieces, like acting as conduit, like portals from one dimension, you know, the players to the other, the game. Um, it felt like that where I was like, Oh shit, maybe like all of us are those conduits right now. Uh, which is very solipsistic. Uh, it's funny because I think the new age and tends to lean that way. And even, uh, um, I'm forgetting his name now, um, a Protestant reform Christian, uh, thinker, um, Jonathan Edwards. He was uh, scandalous because he was kind of thinking Hindu thoughts, like that we were machinations in the mind of God, like kind of like, we're all Atmans in Brahma or whatever, but in the Christian context, which is kind of not chill for back then, I guess. I can't pick up because I can't relate enough to what you said. <laughs> oh, I just rambled as per usual. Uh, no, we covered that. Let's, I mean, I guess we could start winding it down. Um, Sam, tell us a little about the project that you've been working on and maybe like what you, you know, parting thoughts kind of stuff. Yeah, so I mean, I already kind of uh, explained it a little bit, but um, we taught a, a four credit uh, class uh, titled Happiness uh, in a Portland public high school. And um, it was, as I said, a mixture of mindfulness and, um, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, of, the, of the modern science that isn't quite out there too much and um uh some you know wisdom traditions and you know it it was really really um profound to see how the kids reacted to it and how much th that most kids like really want to connect in a vulnerable and authentic way and how they feel that most of them that, you know, that it's not cool or it's not safe to do that and need to be given a specific, you know, safe container for that to go on. But once it happens, it's just transformative. And um, we didn't get one negative uh, response out of over a hundred kids. Um, 
you know, and, and 80, some of them were re resoundingly positive and just was like, you know, my anxiety and my depression are like way, way lower now. I, I actually want to come to school. I feel like it's worth waking up so that I can come to this class. I'm going to give my relationship with my mother another chance. And I just, you know, to me, like a lot of the things that we're talking about as far as like oppression, as far as racism, as far as, um, you know, um, extrinsic versus intrinsic and what really leads to well-being and happiness and critical thinking, like all of these things, mindfulness is such a wonderful salve for those things. Um, because just the, the, the invitation to, to really get to know oneself and the tools to be able to, to, um, I don't know, uh, endure, uh, life's, uh, crazinesses and sorrows, uh, enough to, to remain present and to understand how important, um, loving kindness or compassion for oneself and, and for others is, and, and how powerful it can be like that suite of ideas and experiences to me is, is the medicine of our time. And, uh, don't want to be exclusive, maybe not the medicine, but a powerful medicine for our time. And um, I'm I'm in the process right now of uh, trying to make a, a homeschool accessible type um, program out of it, and that's forthcoming. But um, I would uh, just in general really encourage anybody to, uh, if they have uh, teenagers or even for adults really who are suffering, I mean, mindfulness do things that many therapists can't do. If uh, if gone about in a in a really again authentic and uh, sincere uh, way, so um, yeah, that's that's basically the message. Awesome. Do you have any kind of website or resource you would recommend in particular, or your website? I looked up on your profile. I saw nothing. So, but maybe there is something you would like to recommend. Yeah, that's under construction right now. Um, I, I guess uh, you know. My some I have a few favorite teachers, but um, I think uh, Thich Nhat Han is absolutely wonderful for for pure mindfulness. He's he's one of my absolute favorites. Um, I think uh, you know Ramdas has a has a podcast, uh, Be Here Now, um, that I think is for the wisdom aspect of it is absolutely beautiful. Um, I would say. Um, Uh, Rupert Spira, 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 not sure how to pronounce that, but he's uh, a teacher as well as Adya Shanti uh, that really have wonderful view on mindfulness and spirituality kind of uh, mixed together. Rupert Spira is the Advaita, the non-holistic uh, meditation teacher, but really um, any way that one can get into meditation um, and there's, you know, meditation, there, there's thousands and thousands of forms out there. I would, I would highly recommend exploring meditation until you find one that's right for you. Because again, there's no one style. It's not about clearing your mind. You can do contemplation. You can do concentration. You can, you know, do energetic meditations where you move energy through the body. You can do somatic Uh, meditations, body scans, um, wonderful, wonderful tool body scans where you uh, really inhabit different parts of your body, see what they have to say and sit there and be with and then show compassion and eventually work your way to loving even those pain uh, sensations 
conversations and difficult um, emotions that we all go through. So uh, I, it's a long-winded answer to that, but yeah, meditation would probably be at the top of that list and exploring that for yourself. There's so many teachers out there, but uh, those are a, a few good ones that I would recommend. Before we go, I'm kind of curious what you think the biggest misconception with the idea of mindfulness or the, the practice of it is. Uh, I think my answer to that would be that mind to be mindful uh, or to be compassionate is to just passive and to accept everything how it is. Um, I, I don't really buy into that. I think that mindfulness is um, an em embodied awareness, but it's also a set of tools. It's also a, a way of being. And it's a way of like really basing yourself in an embodied way into the deepest truth of, of what you're experiencing in order to act and respond authentically and in integrity. So it's not like it doesn't involve any action. It's just that to really have based, grounded, authentic action that it needs to come from a place of, you know, groundedness authenticity listening presence um so yeah i'd probably choose that right on well sam thank you for coming on it's been a pleasure uh, getting to meet you and figure out who you are get see how you tick i uh, hope our paths cross in the flesh sometime but i'm glad to see that you know you're doing your thing and getting it done passing on the gnosis as well as you can being a light on the way uh yeah rafael thanks for bringing in another new uh cat straight cat they're always fun uh, to talk to so i appreciate that thanks absolutely thanks so much guys for having me it's been an absolute pleasure and i love what you're doing here thank you thank you very much sam thanks everyone for listening yeah team rabbit hole live in action strange friends are made you know or strangers are only friends you haven't met yet especially once you're on a certain resonant frequencies as i'm sure all y'all listening will have realized by now so that's enough thank you very much enjoy yourselves